Welcome back to Off the Sidelines, an investor education podcast series. I'm your host, Chris Wink, the CEO of Technically. And I'm Abby Lee Moscone. Hey there. Yes, I am here. I just wanted to make a splash. First things first, Off the Sidelines is made possible because of Project Entrepreneur, a program sponsored by UBS. Chris, I don't really say this every episode. Seriously. I am very excited for this week's podcast. Okay. We were joined by an actual real live ray of sunshine, Ooh. the whip smart Keisha Cash. I wanted to become her best friend, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, she's so bright, we actually had to turn the lights off in the interview. I am not sure if you're lying about this. I am. It was actually that the fluorescent lighting was giving me a headache. Ah. But she was really cool about talking in the dark. <laughs> There might actually be a point in here somewhere about being responsive to market conditions uh, and how there's right. got to be some connection here because Keisha does most of her investing in shadow economies. I see. I get it. Okay, enlighten me, Abby. Oh, oh, I love a pun. Love a pun. Right, yes. So Keisha does much of her investing in companies that are built in shadow economies, which we learned are categories that traditional investors are unfamiliar with and therefore they don't see the opportunities that exist within them. So before you sent me out on assignment, Chris, what did you tell me to know about Keisha? So we told you that she's building her own investment brand. She's aligning both with the gaps she sees in the market and the future world she wants to see. That's something any investor can do if they have a real worldview like Keisha does. And she has one for sure. She's the founding general partner for the Impact America Fund, a venture capital fund which invests in early stage entrepreneurs that use technology to broaden the path to economic opportunity in America. Keisha started this fund specifically because she wanted to harness market opportunities that were overlooked by traditional investors. Ugh, just so amazing. Ray of sunshine, I've heard. Ray of sunshine. Keisha talked to us in depth about her process for uncovering and choosing the investment opportunities in her portfolio. And her investment thesis is actually quite unique in that she focuses on underrepresented entrepreneurs, people of color, women, all who have strong lived experiences, which she'll define in depth later on in the interview. Keisha has been dubbed a top five game changer by Forbes and a power investor by Essence. So I don't know about you, but I am on the literal edge of my seat to hear what she's got to say. I am too. Well, I did speak with her inside a conference room with the lights turned off, right. so I do know what she right. says, but you don't know yet, so I'm excited for you and for everyone else. Listen up. So, really challenging question off the bat. Who are you? <laughs> and what do you do? Introduce yourself to us and to our listeners. Ah. Thank you for that question. I'm not sure if I've ever been asked, who are you, um, in an interview about my fund. Uh, but um, it, it's a great question because I feel like Impact America Fund is so much a manifestation of my identity uh, in that um, I have always been passionate about uh, social justice mm -hmm. um, and economic opportunity for underserved Americans, mm -hmm. um, probably because I grew up uh, in a household that was economically um, underserved. And I had the pleasure of growing up uh, in Orange County, California. Uh, that is a pretty wealthy county. Uh, so for me, even you know, as a young person, sort of maybe conscious or unconscious, um, have always, because I knew I was privileged to the extent that I had access to these opportunities when mm -hmm. economically um, my family otherwise would not have been able to afford um, the great public school that I went to, et cetera. 
Um, I've always carried with me a sense of responsibility to make sure that the door stays open uh, and we can get more people who deserve to be through that door through that door. And so talk to me about taking that mission-oriented drive that you had growing up and applying it to your career. What, you know, how did you get started in investing and where are you at currently? Yeah, great question. I, um, so I, I was fortunate enough to attend uh, UC Berkeley, mm-hmm. uh, majored in mathematics, uh, and really a, a, a life sort of pivot or life changing moment for me was when I was accepted into the Sponsors for Educational Opportunity um, SEO program that places high talented minorities on Wall Street. Uh, and so that happened for me my sophomore um, summer. Um, I worked uh, on Wall Street, and then I went back for a second summer um, uh, to work uh, as an M&A analyst um, at Merrill Lynch, uh, and then received a full-time offer to join uh, Merrill Lynch as a full-time uh, uh, analyst uh, in mergers and acquisitions. So for me, someone that came from an economically poor, to some extent, um, background, uh, and then attending UC Berkeley, and then having the opportunity to work on Wall Street was a life-changing moment when you realize, even as a young person during my summer, I made probably made more money than anyone in my immediate family had seen um, from an annual income standpoint. And so then graduating and, and having, you know, making um, way above six figures, um, I don't know what they're paying now, but that was great, great money then um, as, as a young person, um, was a tr- which was tremendous. And then obviously, um, seeing, you know, and I was, I'd be very, very uh, honest, I was driven by how much money one can make on, on Wall Street and also fascinated by this, this culture um, of how, and wanting to learn how money moves and um, how business works at, the, at, at really the highest levels. Um, and so had that opportunity and exposure uh, and then, you know, realized um, being inside of the system, what the system, you know, looks like and how the system functions, um, and started to have my aha moments um, within that system of how um, not everyone has access uh, to being inside of the system and, and can benefit necessarily from the system. So then figuring out um, uh, how to bring that knowledge back to community was my next step after uh, working as an M&A analyst um, for a couple years in New York and, an, and another year in Los Angeles, uh, and then started working with small, uh, independent mom and pop uh, entrepreneurs in LA um, for several years, uh, and then the, the light bulb went off again, and uh, you realize uh, there's a huge difference from uh, what the resources we had on Wall Street and what in compared to the resources that these Main Street entrepreneurs um, had. Um, and for me, um, recognizing there was actually no difference in the talent that I worked all night long on Wall Street, and I was working with small mom and pop entrepreneurs that would work all night long to keep their lights on uh, and, and to keep food on their table, and had brilliant ideas. But because of the lack of access uh, to capital and the resources, uh, to knowledge, uh, in some cases from a, a, a larger industry standpoint, public um, networks and networks, well. yeah, absolutely, their ideas uh, were really not being. Uh, they were being overlooked uh, and weren't reaching their highest potential because of the lack of an ecosystem. So the work with those small entrepreneurs and having being able to contrast that to what I saw on Wall Street really led me to think about what would it be, you know, what would it look like to, to really focus in on creating um, an ecosystem and um, uh, identifying capital that would support um, the growth, the economic development of underserved communities. And so is that what you do now with your Impact America Fund? It is. Uh, it's, it's been a long journey and path uh, to get to being able to deploy capital 
um, out of a fund structure, but Impact America Fund itself, um, Fund 1 and, and, and now Fund 2, uh, very much focused on um, going from, you know, how do you support what I did in LA with a, a small mom and pop shop? How do you support a, a, a one company in the, in the case of the work I was doing before to now the fund, Impact America Fund, we invest in tech-enabled businesses and technology solutions that can support thousands and tens of thousands of, of individuals and or small businesses. So mm -hmm. really thinking about how can we do this faster and at, with more scale um, is, is how Impact America Fund approaches uh, its investment thesis. Um, an example of that, we're invested in a company that's based in Oakland. The name of that company is Maven. Uh, and Maven um, is a uh, e-commerce platform that enables um, hairstylists to generate additional income uh, via selling um, products direct to their customers. Mm -hmm. um, and Maven is is actually evolving as a company now, and 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 those products will um, will also include services. And so it's it's exciting to where this company's headed, but. Um, over the last four and a half years, uh, Maven, through its business model, um, has supported, they've built a community of over 50,000 hairstylists and really has supported um, uh, uh, 25,000 hairstylists with um, generating additional income each week. Um, in America, if you look at the stats, um, hairstylists on average um, generate about $24,000 a year in income. And then depending on the demographics and where you're located, that number could be lower. And so a company like Maven, where um, in my, my heyday back in when I was in Los Angeles working with small businesses, one of those small businesses was an independent hairstylist who had a vision of creating and selling his own hair products. And mm -hmm. so I went down the rabbit hole with him. Um, and I'm thankful that I did because I learned so much about the hair industry. And we flew to China. And we looked at factories. And we actually built a kind of small, you know, smaller e-commerce platform um, specifically for that hairstyle. So fast forward 10 years uh, when I met Deshaun, the founder of Maven, and he had this idea of building a technology solution that would support thousands, tens of thousands of, of hairstylists. Um, it was exciting because that's really the thesis of Impact America Fund and the vision of there has to be a way uh, to scale solutions that can support and uplift you know, tens of thousands of, of folks that otherwise would be overlooked or underserved. So talk to me about um, another example of another company in a different category that you might not have thought about yeah. in such depth before, but you were like, oh wow, this could be an amazing opportunity that no one's thought of. Yes, yes, absolutely. There was a, um, we're invested in a company um, called Connexus. Mm -hmm. um, in Connexus, I actually had the opportunity um, to place a seed investment in that company when I worked with the family office prior to launching Impact America Fund One. Um, and that founder was introduced to me by Stacy Philpot, who's now the CEO of TaskRabbit, who at, at the time, um, was at um, at Google, um, mm -hmm. and and I can't recall how I met Stacy, but I vividly remember this meeting with her um, and an amazing woman who as you know, when I grow up, I want to be like you. Although we're we're sort of the same age, but I have more growing up to do, and she's like super. Just we might on... be the same age, and I'm starting to feel that way about you already. So. <laughs> She's like super on point, so there was no surprise when I was like, oh, announcement that she was, I was like, I've met her before she was the CEO of TaskRabbit, that's my like claim to fame. But Stacy said, you know, she's like, oh, and I was telling her about the mission of, of the fund and fund one, and she's like, I have an entrepreneur that you should meet, and I've known this guy for a while, I believe 
um, maybe her husband or a friend of the family, like knew him very well. And she introduced us to Rob Robinson, who is the CEO of Connexus. Um, and us being at the time, myself and Josh Melman, who was the manager of this pool of capital from the family office. Um, and Josh and I, you know, one of our criteria for investing in founders, we were investing, had the opportunity to invest super early at the seed level was, you know, are they good people, right? That's the first mm -hmm. question Josh would ask me, are they good people? Um, and so, you know, I, I try to vet them for their goodness before um, introducing mm -hmm. them to Josh. And when we met Rod Robinson, um, who, is you know fantastic who is a former procurement officer for 10 years and really passionate about supply chain diversity um when we met him he literally he's like you know i have this company i was a team you know i just rolled this out about it like a year maybe two years ago it started out as a consulting business i've raised some funding at cincy tech um, based in Ohio, was an early investor, but hadn't, didn't have any real revenue, mm -hmm. had raised a little bit of, of seed capital. Um, Josh and I met him, I was like, Josh, I know nothing about like supply chain diversity or like procurement, really. Like we didn't know, we knew very little um, or how he was gonna use technology to transform the space. But we looked and we're like, this is a good guy. And this guy has 10 years of procurement experience and we think if he's given enough capital and time, he'll figure it out. Fast forward, um, Rod and team and Connexus, um, and this was in 2013 um, when Josh Melman and I uh, placed a seed investment in that company. Fast forward, Impact America um, Fund 1 invested in the company in 2014 um, and Impact America Fund 2 um, recently uh, made an investment as well. And our interest in that company, uh, Connexus, uh, Rod saw a, a very um, uh, unique opportunity to create diversity within supply chains, working with corporations and saying, hey, it really makes no sense that you have a diversity officer inside of the corporation that sits outside of the procurement team. Mm -hmm. And how do you integrate this? And A, by the way, while we're doing that, let's get rid of kind of the pencil and pen, archaic way of thinking about identifying women, minority, veteran-owned businesses. There's, and there's a broader universe of those companies out there um, so fast forward, Connexus started out very much focused on diversity, um, helping large corporations um, better identify, manage, and increase their number of diverse suppliers, um, and, and has grown this company into a full procurement platform that is starting to win over legacy players because inherent within the DNA of that company, it, it, it includes, it's built to be inclusive of. Um, a diverse community, which it's not rocket science, but um, there has to be real intentionality about mm -hmm. building and designing a product and a company to do that. And we really fundamentally believe um, that when you can do that and do that well, then you create a better product for all. And, and for us, the economic impact to your question around, I, would not, I didn't see this beginning for Connexus and Connexus has evolved um, over several years now. Um, where they're at now is that they can now produce economic impact reports for corporations to say, hey, you you um, selected and gave contracts to uh, this woman, minority veteran-owned company in this zip code. Well, what did that mean for job creation? Um, and then can extrapolate from there, what does that mean for local spending? And so um, we like the fact that it's this, you know, what, what the plays that we're, the investments that we're making is really these founders that understand the infrastructure and how the system works mm -hmm. and finding opportunities to leverage technology uh, to make that work better for um, larger groups of people. So I know that you call the type of investing that you do impact investing. Mm -hmm. Can you tell listeners what impact investing is? 
Um, impact investing, there's a spectrum of, of impact investing, so it does matter who you talk to on that spectrum. Okay. Um, there are impact investors, um, typically, you know, uh, family offices or high net worth individuals that say, hey, I'm not looking for necessarily a market rate return, right? If I just get my capital back, that's good enough. Um, they're not losing it. They're not giving it away. They are making a for-profit investment, but they're like, look, I just, you know, give me my capital back. I'll reinvest it. Um, and then there are others who, you know, want to shoot, they're shooting for market rate returns and believing, hey, we... Yes, we care about impact, and we're only going to invest in um, companies that we can say have a social environmental um, impact. And environmental impact is is probably a bigger, um, you know, people know more about environmental impact. And there's public equities environmental impact, and um, across asset classes, um, the the S, the ESG, the S and ESG, the social environmental social governance. Mm-hmm. Um, the S, the social part, has been a bit more challenging um, for folks to wrap their heads around. And so, um, as an impact investing fund, we believe you know our thesis are really centered around that social impact, that S, and we're doing it. You know, at an earlier stage, we're in venture capital, um, private equity, a higher risk ca- category than um, if we were a debt fund or a public equities fund. Um, but we like playing in that that earlier stage because we believe the type of impact that we think needs to happen to truly transform systems and to create economic opportunity for communities, it doesn't exist. If it existed, you know, we wouldn't be, um, you know, sweating and, and bleeding um, to create <laughs> these new models. Um, and so I, I want to impact America Fund. The role that we play is at that early, really early, um, quote unquote, high risk um, catalytic capital uh, standpoint, which is necessary in order to bring these new innovations to market. Um, and so we're intentional. We, we we want to scale impact, and we're intentional about putting ourselves at an early position so that we make sure new innovations come to market. And I fundamentally believe, as corporations go through their evolutions and changes. Um, what we call now, you know, we believe there will, you know, we'll have a number of social responsible exits. Um, we're having some of those conversations, thankfully, now. Um, two companies that um, they're, they're buying into the, 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 the product, the business model, and the market opportunity, but they also are buying into that impact narrative and what that means uh, for their corporation in the future, which is awesome. When you are making an evaluation of someone or a company, are there any red flags that you look for and what what are they? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, so we, I mean, we absolutely um, are looking for founders that are 100% in. They have to be 100% committed. Um, we know from the companies, you know, the now almost 15 companies that we've had the opportunity to invest in that it requires a commitment beyond a commitment beyond a commitment. If you're taking venture capital dollars and the expectation is for you to scale, and to scale pretty quickly, honestly, in a 10-year time frame, the life of my fund is in is 10 years, and really you're, you're looking for exits year six, seven, if you're lucky. Um, and so to move that fast, right? So you're like, okay, seven years, ideally if I'm investing a day, I wanna see, I wanna exit this company in seven years. That requires a founder to move pretty quickly. Um, and there's a lot of pressure. The more capital you raise, uh, the more you get in bed with more traditional VCs, mm-hmm. the, the bar gets higher and there are expectations, um, again, of exits and returns. And so um, when we're looking, you know, evaluating founders um, for our capital, the types of capital that, that the venture capital that we're investing, 
Um, we are assessing whether or not we think, A, are they 100% committed? Are they a high growth minded entrepreneur um, and that they're trying to build a big company? Uh, do they have the, the stamina, um, the uh, persistence and really the belief um, to wake up every day and to keep chipping away at this when times get tough? Like, will they handle the pressure? Because times will get tough, right? There will be points where you think the lights are going to go out. There will be mm -hmm. points where revenue dips. There will be points where you lose customers, right? There will be points where you realize, like, I got to pivot because there's competition. Like, it, it, can this founder, can this individual, again, we're guessing, we're assuming, we're trying to do our best based on what we, what we know about them, their track record, can they handle the pressure? That's the biggest thing. And when the pressure comes, you know, will they be able to navigate through that? And that, you know, not, you know, unfortunately, um, it's not for everybody. And so, you know, finding those diamonds in a rough, those founders who uh, we believe can, you know, can hold on during the tough times is a big part. And then, you know, it's a partnership. If we're invested in a company for seven to 10 years, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mini marriage. And are these people that we can fight with and, and, and love again tomorrow and stay in love, right? We'll have our battles and trust me, I have my feel um, where, you know, and, and they'll, my the entrepreneurs similarly, they'll, they'll, you know, tell me a thing or two if I need to hear it. Um, and then can we still move forward um, is really important. So folks that we, we can break bread with, but also have tough conversations with um, mm -hmm. and support and, and be in partnership along the journey. So you've been doing this for a while now and you have clearly a lot of experience. What would you say to a high net worth individual who wanted to get into investing? What's some of the, the best advice that you could give? Yeah, I think, I mean, for a high net worth individual, we have, you know, LPs who are high net worth individuals, um, I'll say for venture, venture is risky, right? And so mm -hmm. don't, don't invest money that you can't afford to lose. <laughs> and that's different for different people, right? You may be able to afford to lose, you know, 250,000, but maybe a million might pinch you. So don't, don't invest that million. It's a, it's a high stakes game. Um, and then, you know, depending on your bandwidth, if you're a high net worth individual and you have all the time in the world and you want to make direct investments in portfolio companies and, and be an angel, um, you know, there's obviously angel investment groups that make that a little bit easier. So you're sharing diligence, you're sharing the responsibility of tracking that, that company and um, supporting the founder. Um, I highly advise that if you're gonna build a portfolio of direct investments, because it's, it's tough work if you wanna be actively involved um, in a company um, and provide that support to a founder. Um, and then there's, you know, obviously high net worth individuals can invest um, in funds. Um, and so we have a number of high net worth individuals um, that are invested uh, in funds. And, and honestly, um, for us, you know, it's not necessarily that the, the, although we have our minimums, it's not the size of the check is really um, a lot of some of my greatest high net worth individuals have written the smaller checks, but they have phenomenal operating experience um, from starting a company, exiting a company, and then, you know, we can rely on them for that. Um, information. So finding out where your value add is, and then mm -hmm. if you're interested in impact investing, you know, being honest about what you know, what impact do you care about? Um, you know, do you, you know, and figuring that out. Um, and so it's you know, there are some great gender um, focused funds that are out there. Um, there's some great funds um, that are focused on the environment. There are funds that are focused now focusing more on low and moderate income communities, which we're thrilled about. And so doing your research and your homework and figuring out um, which funds, and, and like an entrepreneur, vet the fund manager mm -hmm. uh, to make sure it's someone that you wanna you know, break bread with and be in business with for, for 10 years. But 
I think now is an exciting time for impact investing because there are more and more opportunities uh, for impact investors to either invest directly, invest in funds, support CDFIs. Um, if you're more risk adverse or just want to place capital with CDFIs, like community development financial institutions, they're great. Um, they're banks for the community, so there's a way to put capital in that bank and have it be safe and secure and, 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 and do good by the community. So it's just a really exciting time for individuals um, to do your homework and rely obviously uh, on advisors who um, have impact knowledge and who are leading into the impact space that can help you figure these things out. Why specifically do you think it's an interesting time or an exciting time? Is that because there are more companies led by minorities that are coming up and that they have the ability to invest in or the opportunity to invest in or is there another reason? Yeah, when I, say, when I say impact investing, obviously inclusive in that is more women and people of color that are managers, but I think there's an acknowledgement by um, the, the world, but really America, to say, hey, we can, we can do business better, um, and there are ways to do business in, by which um, we can create better outcomes for our key stakeholders, including employees, um, the community, suppliers, et cetera. Like that's, it's not this, you know, cult kind of bubble, although we're still kind of operating <laughs> um, kind of in a very small bubble compared to the larger, you know, financial markets, but there's more conversation about impact investing now. So it's, it's more accessible. And I think that, you know, I really do believe um, we will start to see more and more exits um, that will um, obviously help scale the impact, but the buyer will talk more about that impact. And so, you know, you can't, it's not like investing, you know, whatever, 15 years ago, and you're a part of this cult kind of impact investing group, and maybe we'll exit, although there's been some great um, impact-oriented exits. Now, it's, I, I hope, and what we're trying to prove, that there's a competitive advantage to having impact orientation within mm -hmm. a company. Um, so folks that are investing in the space, you know, there's more exit, I believe, more exit opportunities for the types of companies that they're investing in. On a personal note, what has been one of the most rewarding moments of your career working with the America and uh, the Impact America Fund? The most rewarding is really, I mean, it's 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 still the day-to-day -day work in that we get to you know have deep relationships with our LPs who are amazing, right? They, we have some of the largest foundations in the world who invest it. We have great high net worth individuals. We have you know, financial institutions. So it's it's getting to work across this diverse range of investors and having like all the investors that are invested, they want to have the conversation about economic justice, um, social impact. And so, um, you know, that's what I that's what I live for. And, and, and being able to have that, that ongoing communication and to know that people are invested in you because of that. Um, is is certainly rewarding. Um, being able to work with amazing entrepreneurs, um, I, you know, I think Impact America Fund is is entrepreneurial in its own right. But the entrepreneurs we invest in are like, oh my God, these people are amazing. Like the level of detail and their passion and their commitment to the growing their companies. On top of that, having a true orientation around impacting their communities. Um, you know, it's we. I learned so much um, as a firm. We learn a lot from our entrepreneurs. Um, and try to give as much as we can. So having those partnerships and relationships are incredible. And we're building out a unique team. Um, like I said, the, all of our team members are either women or people of color. And so coming from um, working on Wall Street where I was the only black woman um, in my group on the 30th floor uh, to now being you know, a black woman that, that manages uh, a fund and have, has been able to build out an incredible team that's 100% women and people of color um, makes me feel good every day when I wake up. 
And I think that's what's so interesting to me as a young woman to listen to you talk about this company that you've built um, after being the only black woman in a Wall Street environment, which I can only imagine the stories you have to tell. But you seem so confident. And what would you say to other young women who might doubt their ability to compete in a world like this that's, mm. that is so um, male-centric and that is so intimidating? What's your advice to, to young women who are inspired by what you're doing? Well, I just quickly want to ask you, when we started this conversation, you mentioned to me that you're a freelancer mm -hmm. um, and you yourself are, are independent. How have you, how did you have the courage to go out on your own? <sighs> Prozac. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Um, I just didn't find the corporate world I was working in advertising. It just didn't suit me. It didn't suit... I'm not someone who thinks on a 9-to-5 schedule. I like to write in the evening. I'm also a musician, so I needed something that would cater to that lifestyle, and I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. I don't think I really became confident until I started getting more work and people were coming to me saying, so-and-so mentioned you that I should reach out to you because I need some help with writing. Um, so it took a lot of time and just, <laughs> I called it walking through the fear. Hmm. Like I would feel terrified, but I would still walk into the room or I would still, so I just kind of walked into it until one day, I don't even really realize when it was, I was like, oh, I wasn't scared going into that meeting, mm -hmm. or I wasn't scared submitting that piece. So I kind of just made myself acclimate by force. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, honestly, and I hadn't thought about it in the way you just described it, but walking through the fear is like every day for me. Right? Really? It's like, not that I'm afraid, but it's, I mean, doing this work, as you know, if you're building something... Um, and really working in a space and, and trying to do something innovative in that space, there's so many unknowns and there aren't a lot of blueprints for it. Right. And so, you know, the fun part is you get to make it up, but the scary part is like, okay, am I making up something that's effective? Am I making up the right thing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel exactly. that way all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So okay. I think to your, I mean, I'd borrow your advice of like waking up and being okay, walking through the fear. There are some, some, some women that were a bit older than me that I met with a, a few years ago and they're like what would I tell my younger self and they're like be bold mm. be bold and I'd add to that and continue to walk through the fear great thank you so much yeah thank, thank you, you. This, this was great really an amazing opportunity to listen to you speak about what you do thank, thank you, you. What a novel approach. Economic inclusion isn't just an act of social justice. It's good darn business. Right. Like, anyone can miss innovation in a marketplace that we've never actually been a part of. That's why I love her perspective so much and shining a light on the fact... There's that light... There's that light again. Light keeps coming back. Shining the light on the fact that there are these shadow economies and there are millions of opportunities out there that people are currently missing. It, it is a perspective, but... It's inspiring to be reminded of that work and why that can be an approach you can take to the investment world. Bring what the future holds in your mind to whatever investments you make and make it part of your strategy. Yeah, it's also really impressive how she scouted the companies that she decided to invest in. It's like that depth of research, the amount of relationship building it took. And, and for you as an investor, you can do this different ways. There, there are angel investor networks that will do some of that due diligence for them. Others do it individually if they have the skills and the background for it. You're going to find your own path. 
Keisha is also interesting because she's different than other investors in the kinds of relationships she builds with, with entrepreneurs. And again, that is something that you as a prospective investor are going to figure out over time. What kind of relationships do you want to have? How involved? How frequent is your mm-hmm. communication? These are all differences. You got to trust your gut, um, but sometimes others will follow exclusively the almighty spreadsheet and how they evaluate, pick, and build companies. Yes. Somewhere in between the two, you got to find your own space. Yeah, you need to find your own voice. All right, all right. Abby, I think this sounds like a very tidy place to say it's the end of this episode of Off the Sidelines, an investor education podcast series brought to you by us at Technically and powered by Project Entrepreneur, a program sponsored by our friends at UBS. Music in this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. Also, make sure you subscribe so that you can listen to our entire series. And if you have any questions, comments, tweet us at technical underscore L-Y. And also, pretty please, leave us a review. It really helps. Tell the world you love us. Go ahead. Make it clear. We know. We what love a you rallying too. cry, Abby. Thank you for <laughs> listening, everyone, and join us next time.